I want to start out with something. The Lord wants to bring, we use the word encouragement in our society and in the church, and we kind of pass over that word. You know, it's fun to be encouraged, but we really don't think in terms of the God kind of encouragement. And if you can think of the most encouraging thing from a scale of 1 to 10 in your mind, today the Holy Ghost wants it to be 250. From a scale of 1 to 10, He wants today's encouragement over your hearts and the comfort of the Holy Ghost to be 250. And I want to start here in Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 18. I'm going to go fast because I have several scriptures. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to hope set before us. Strong encouragement. That is today's word, strong encouragement. That is what God, in, in strong consolation to your hearts. He wants to lift you today. He wants to raise you above the pressures that are crushing you. There are some of you in here I, I, I know that are hurting. You are hanging in for Jesus. You're fighting the good fight. You're doing the stuff. You're doing your best. And you're hurting. And the pressure has built on some of you so great. You're like, Lord, if you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I've been there. And I understand where you're at. And today, the Lord is going to speak to you today. The desire of Jesus is to comfort your heart. The desire of Jesus is to hold your heart, your emotions, the seat of your being in His hand, and to speak lovingly to you. All the challenges that we give from the Word of God are right. But there's also a place of encouragement that the Lord, He loves us so much. We are not Islam. We do not have a God who demands, 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 demands. We have a God who dies for us and then invites us in. And He comes down and His Spirit moves in our hearts and He changes our nature. And then we long from that point forward to serve Him. We can be the most sacrificial people and the happiest people on the earth at the same time. Because we have a God that already did this for us. He already did this for us. All right? Hebrew 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to see in this, in every respect, Jesus went through what we went through. He is a merciful and sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. That's talking about Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to go through everything that any of us went through and any of us will ever go through so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Hebrews 7, 24 through 25. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I like that word uttermost. 
I really, really, really like that word uttermost. I began to study it. That He's able to save us to the uttermost. And uttermost means for all eternity. That's one meaning. There's two meanings to it. For all eternity. That from the point that you were born of the Spirit, that you were saved for all eternity. Follow Jesus, man. He, he's got our eternity in His hand. And also uttermost means in every realm of this life. That He is able to save to the uttermost, to the nth degree, every area of this life. In other words, sickness in your body healed. Your finances given to God. Him meeting all of our needs. The painful emotions that you deal with on a daily basis. Him bringing comfort and healing. Reworking your brain so it works right. You can, you can ask my wife. My, my brain has been reworked. It's still in the progress, but it has been reworked. I think differently than I used to. And consequently, I don't have nearly the pain I used to. I don't. I don't. I used to walk in tremendous pain as an individual on the inside, and I don't now. And I, but I remember that day. And some of you are there. And I'm telling you, Jesus is able and He's oh so willing to do this for you. To do this for you. He, you can trust Him with everything in your life. One more. And this is, this is our Jesus today. Matthew 12, 18-21. This is a quote from Isaiah, a prophecy about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. I want you to focus on this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a, as a man full of the Holy Ghost, I have relied on that scripture and said, Jesus, I'm, I'm a bruised reed. I'm a bruised reed. I'm a smoldering wick. There are times in our life and in our revivalistic, sacrificial, move-on-for-God culture in the church, which is absolutely right, sometimes there are those of us that feel like roadkill on that path. We just do. We, we, we want to do the right things for God. We're trying to do the right things for God. We struggle with, with, with issues of sin that keep cropping back up. It's painful to us. And what happens is we tend to hide these things. And they eat us alive. We're, we're beset with depression at times. All kind of stuff. And it doesn't look very victorious. So what happens is shame starts falling on us and doubling up on us. But that's who Jesus came for. If you're, I'm describing me, okay? That's all I know how to do is preach my life. I'm describing sitting out there for years dealing with that stuff, feeling badly. Now, I say that, and God has brought me so far. He has healed me so much. But I have been in that place of sitting in a pew in a high-octane service and feeling like dirt. All right? But a bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Jesus, in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your sinfulness, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of you not having it all together, knows how to gently take that reed and heal that reed to where it's not bruised any longer. He will gently, not, he will not, not only will He not snuff out the smoldering flame, he'll, he'll blow it. He'll blow it. So I want you to know that today, this is, this is the intro. This is not, this is, we're not even on page one. This is the intro, okay, um, to the notes. Because I, I think 
you need to hear where the Lord is coming from today. The Lord is coming from with what I'm saying, the motivation behind it. If I don't communicate anything else today, the motivation behind it is to encourage you and to comfort you and to console you and to shove you on to higher heights in God. To Yes, for us to go to a place of greater service and deeper sacrifice. Right, let's go. Let's get there. That's where Jesus is. He's in that fire. He's in that fiery furnace. That's what three Hebrew boys figured out. I'm going to the fiery furnace. That's fine, Nebuchadnezzar, because he's going to be there with me, and he was. That fiery furnace is a good place to be. That, I, I like it. I, there have been a few times in my life when God has let me be in a fiery furnace, and I really, 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 it's scary when, up to the door, but once you step in and he's there, it's like, okay, see y'all later, I'm staying. Because those punks don't want to get in the fiery furnace, do they? Yeah. So Jesus will enter the fiery furnace with us. Hang on, guys. Told y'all. I'm not Sunday morning material. <laughs> no, no. It's about to get good. Okay. Matthew 12.29. Matthew 12.29. I'm going to go fast. I have a lot of scriptures and some ground to cover, but I'm, I want to paint a picture today. This is about the strong man. I'm going to start at verse 27. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, who is it your sons drive them out by? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Jesus, let's talk about it now. Let's go on over to uh, Colossians 2.15. Started at verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all, all us our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. And by this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Okay. What Jesus is saying is that there is a strong man. A, a strong man is a reference to demonic forces. I think you guys are very aware of that. We, you know, based on the scriptures, we believe that strong man to be a territorial demon. I don't want to get too technical with it, but that is probably what Jesus was talking about. And when that strong man is plundered, you are then able to go in and get all his stuff. When that strong man is bound, you're able to go plunder him, in other words. We know that based on Colossians here, that on the cross, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He took their power away. What he did was by nailing it on the cross, the, the, the sins that were against us, he is no longer able to accuse us to God. And because of that, we are now placed in right standing with God, okay? And because we are now in right standing with God, He is able to give us His name, the authority of His name. He is able to give us His Word. And He is able to give us His Spirit. The enemy can't say anything about that now because now God entrusts us with His Spirit, the power of His name and His Word. Okay? And therefore we can do warfare on the Lord's behalf with that. Satan's kingdom is not a legal governing authority in this realm any longer. The second Adam, or the last Adam rather, Jesus, broke that and took that from him. The kingdom of God is now the only legal spiritual entity on this planet. The hordes of hell are punks. 
The hordes of hell are rogue organizations and we see a perfect picture in Iraq right now. It's been painted for us. A rogue organization has usurped and what are they doing? They're stealing, they're killing, and destroying. That group of thugs is nothing more than a group of punks that have banded together and they're demonically inspired to do what they're doing. They're following their father, the devil. They're following their father. Their father is not the same God as our God. Their father is a demon prince and they are following his writ to the, to, to the nth degree. They are following his word by stealing, killing, and destroying. What does our God bring? Life and that more abundantly. Amen. So Satan's forces are basically like ISIS. They are an unauthorized, rogue organization running around and creating havoc. So what is necessary to curtail those forces? To, to curtail those forces? What is necessary? Force. What has helped turn the tide in Iraq? It's not totally turned yet, but the little bit of air power that we have given, has, and as, as well as arming and assisting the Kurdish forces and some of the Iraqi forces, have helped turn the tide. If we can't, but what is needed is a great force. They have enough force to help stem it. But what these guys need is great force. And that is what we bring to the scene. We bring the great force, the presence of God, the authority of Jesus' name, the Holy Ghost, and the Word of God. That is what we bring to the scene. And that will, we're not worried about the devil's bowing to legal authority. We're going to bring force on the scene and drive him out. So we go to this strong man and we start hitting him with everything we've got. We bravely come against Him in the name of the Lord. We do it by, by soul winning. We do it by fasting and prayer. We do it by our worship. We do it by our holy lifestyle. We do it in all the things that you guys do every day. We are blessed with the assignment of bringing the authority of God or the kingdom of God into every realm and situation of this life. Matthew 10, 7, 8 says, and He told His disciples, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons freely who have received and freely give. So that is what it looks like when we go in the name of the Lord and we start to bring the king, the, the realm of the kingdom of God or the authority of the kingdom of God on, scene, on the scene. The sick are healed. The dead are raised. The poor are fed. Demons are cast out. Lives are changed. You name it. That is what happens. We bring His life and His authority and realm on the scene. Spiritual warfare in God's Word couple of scriptures. Um, Matthew 16, 17 through 20. I bet y'all can tell me what that one is. Automatically. This is Jesus talking to Peter. And, he's, and he, Peter says to, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Gates, the gates of hell will not prevail. We've heard that. That's a little bit different translation. In studying the word gates, it means more of a council. The councils of hell will not overpower it. Will not overpower us. In other words, we win. When we go in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost, we win. All right. Another familiar scripture. Uh, Ephesians 6, 12 and 13. All right. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the world powers of this darkness and against spiritual forces in the heavens. This is why we must take up the full armor of God. Skip down to verse 18. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit and stay alert in this with all perseverance, intercession in the saints. 
So we see that engaged in this warfare, who we battle against are not people, but demon spirits. And we are given armor. That's, that's the classic scripture that talks about the armor of God. And at the end of it, we are encouraged at all times to pray in the Spirit, to bring prayer on the scene. Brother David and those guys did that last night for us today. To bring prayer on the scene, to drive back the forces of darkness, and to bring the powers of God to bear in the service today. All right? Now, how does this work? This is where I'm, I just laid the foundation. How does this work? This works. Our offensive weapon is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How does this work from God's perspective? Romans 6, 12 through 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer or present any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourself to God and all parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin shall not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. We become weapons in the hands of God. We literally, as we yield ourselves to Him, and that word offer or present or yield ourselves to Him, there's different translations say it different ways. That same Greek word is in Romans 12.1. We'll talk about that in a minute. It says present ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices. As we present our bodies as living sacrifices, we then become the weapons in the hands of God. And it's a real honor. Kenneth Weiss says this. He says, Paul thinks of the members of the Christian's body as weapons to be used in the Christian warfare against evil. All right, so what happens? When we go in the name of the Lord, we go in prayerfully, we go using the authority of Scripture, the Holy Ghost, we begin to take ground for the Lord, all right? We begin to, the strong man feels pinched. He begins to lose. He can't help but lose. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed when we go in the presence and obedience to the Lord, in the name of the Lord, that the enemy loses. But does he quit there? No. That's what you guys are feeling now. That's what's happening now. Okay? I, I, I was very laborious, but I wanted to make a point. This is what is happening in your midst now. You guys have been in the hands of God, and he's gone whack to the strong man. The strong man has said, ouch, that hurts. So once he gets up and gets some first aid, he regathers his forces, and he comes against you. And there is a price to pay for that. In the last few weeks, uh, we went through a, a real hard time. Um, Melanie dealt with some real sickness. It actually got a little bit dangerous. It was most likely, based on what some other physicians told me, it was most likely undertreated. It was a bit scary. Finances have been, I'm just sharing my heart, finances have been an issue. My job went from insane to insane with steroids. You know, nobody's happy. The presence of God was not really real to me. <laughs> I was felt like I was besieged on all sides. The, and I did not recognize that I had a week from hell, honestly, guys, a, few, a couple weeks ago. And I did not recognize it in the moment, and you may not be recognizing it now, but there was a demonic oppression over my mind I find once I recognize that demonic oppression, I'm more easily able to defeat it. But it was so thick and so bad and it encroached on me so slowly, I think, that I did not even notice it. Last Sunday, 
I was brought to a crisis moment. I was mowing the yard, and, and I'm telling you, the darkness was all over my mind. The fear was all over me. I was struggling. I was praying. I was calling out to God for mercy. I was mad at Him a little bit, trying not to be, but I knew He was good. And the question came to my soul, do you love God? And I said, yes, I love God. I love God. And then I saw it. I saw it. I was in a crucible. I was in a crucible. And my love for God was phileo. I really think Jesus is nifty, y'all. I really love the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the gifts of the Spirit, all the good things God does for us. But I saw something precious that I was able to take hold of in this crisis moment. Okay? It purified my choice. Otherwise, I had the choice to say, I love God without the goodies. And what happened was, and I just want to process this with you because you're family and we know each other. It brought me to the choice. And and look, my doctrinal healing of the the presence of God has never changed. It did not change in that moment. But I was brought to this crucible where in my mind I was able to make the choice, and I had to, do I love God without the answer to my prayer? Do I theologically believe the answer is not coming? No, I absolutely believe it's coming. But in that moment, I'm in this place. My mind, I don't know if God's ever brought you into a crucible like this, but I had to make this choice. Do I love God or do I love His stuff? And I was brought to the point that I said I love God and my heart was broken for the Lord because somebody in this earth has got to love Him for Him. Do do you want to... We all want to be loved... with our foibles, and God doesn't have foibles, but we all want to be loved, not for what we bring to the table, but as beings worthy to be loved. And I realized that God has al- had allowed me in that moment to meet a need of His heart, if I can say it that way. <laughs> mm. That I love Him because He's worthy to be loved. I love Him because He desires to be loved. That I said, you can set aside the goodies. You can set aside the nice things you do for me. And I love you, and I'm going to be jealous for you, and I'm going to, and I'm going to worship you, and you're, you're adorable to me, and you can set aside all the stuff. And, and it was rough, it was tough, it was, it was a tough situation for me. On Saturday, I was going to tell Eric, no, I ain't preaching. Sunday, Monday, I told him, yes, okay, this is last Sunday. The burden, the oppression, all this lifted off my heart. I said, Lord, I'm, before that I've been mad. I'm sorry I'm been mad at you. I love you. Of course, he forgives. He forgives and he cleanses. Melanie uh, calls and kind of talks to Teresa about what's going on. Has the comfort of a good friend. Teresa prays. The next day she gets up, she's way better. You know, I mean, she's way better. The thing broke. Do I believe that God would answer that prayer if I would not have for Melanie's health and for the other things, if I would have made the wrong choice in that moment. I believe he would have answered my prayer. But the greater prayer was, do I love God? The greater thing was, yes, I love you. I want to be jealous for you. In spite of all my junk. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endurance. You know, we can endure all things. And the reason being is we can endure for love. 
We're not enduring for anything else other than for the sake of love, for the sake to, to bring glory to God and to bring deliverance to mankind. We can endure all things. We are able to do that. And it takes this refining fire, I think, for us to take the next step from where I am today to where I am tomorrow. It takes these crisis moments, and the Lord brought me through that. It was, it's been marvelous to me. Another thing, when, when we are engaged in this warfare with the enemy, and he hits us again, and he's hit some of you guys. I know it. I, I, two times in preparation, I just sat there, and as I did, tears just began to flow, the compassion of the Lord for all of you all. This deep desire the Lord has, this deep tenderness to, to assuage your pain and, and, to, and to help you and to heal you and to love on you and to make you feel better and to say it's going to be okay and you didn't do anything wrong. I'm prophesying right now. You didn't do anything wrong and it's going to be okay. Okay, that's by the Holy Ghost. That is what is coming forth from my spirit. And I wept a couple of times. And I want to tell you something. We are not victims when the enemy comes back at us. Because you know why? We bite back. That's why. We bite back. You know what? I was able to bite back because I said, I don't care. I love Jesus. I don't care. I, I'm... I'm I'm not going to give up on believing God's word. But in this moment, I'm going to take this, cru this crucible moment and by the grace of God say, I love Jesus regardless of anything else. And I believe that one thing bit back. And guys, we get to bite back. Right now in your seat, if you were undergoing a beating, guess what? The tide is going to turn and you're going to get some payback. Jesus makes me love everybody whether I want to or not. He really does. He just is, insists on that. But he never insists on loving the devil back. That's right. well, he is the one creature that we can take great delight in biting back and just wearing him out. Y'all like to wear him out? Yes. I like to wear him out. All right. Jesus bit back. I'm not going to read this. It's too long, but I want to give you the reference. Matthew 14, 13 through 34 and Mark 6. 30 through 56. These are the two stories where John the Baptist is, dies. Y'all remember the story? John the Baptist is imprisoned by Herod. Herod's married to, a brother, to his brother's wife. It's a bad deal. John the Baptist is a gutsy son of a gun telling this man, you're not supposed to be married to her. This is adultery. It's wrong. She hates him. Herodias hates Herod. Wants, I mean, hates uh, John the Baptist and wants to kill him. Herod's a chicken and won't do it because he's afraid of the people. And so this woman sends out this daughter to dance in front of a bunch of men, a bunch of perverts. And make a long story short, Herod hasn't beheaded. The head is sent to Herodias. The body is given to the disciples. It's a terrible, disgraceful way to kill a man, any man, any person, any human being. Jesus was related to John the Baptist. They were cousins. I also believe that John the Baptist understood Jesus probably better at that time than anybody else on earth did because John was, had walked with God to such a degree with the Spirit of God upon him that I think Jesus, the one consolation Jesus had is my cousin understands me. I really do. They were loyal yoke fellow together. He was his forerunner. He was a man that baptized him who said, you know, I, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, no, let's obey the Father. These men had a relationship and a camaraderie among them. They, they were fellow soldiers in what was going on. And I have to believe that other than the cross, 
that that, that moment when, when John the Baptist died was probably the most painful moment of Jesus' life. I have to believe it. So what did Jesus do to bite back? Well, first, some of his disciples, James and John, had been disciples of John the Baptist. So they're hurting too. This great man who Jesus said, there's never been a prophet greater than this, has died. He's been beheaded. It's been shameful. His men are hurting. So he brings them away to provide a time of rest for them. All right? When they get to where they're going, they go in the boat. They go try to find a lonely place. The crowd shows up. So how does Jesus bite back? The same way we're about to bite back. The same way we're about to bite back. He had, the Bible says he had compassion on them. He taught them. He healed them. He fed them by a miracle. This is in the story of the 5,000, the feeding the 5,000. He walked on the water. He helped Peter walk on the water. He discipled the 12. He calmed the storm. He arrived back at land in the area of Gennesaret, and then he healed everybody else who touched his cloak at that point in time. That's how Jesus bit back. And some of you guys, I'm telling you, you're going through this crucible right now. You're going through painful things, deep traumatic things. And you're about to get restored and you're about to bite back. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, the whole ball of wax. The greater works of Jesus, revival, miracles, signs and wonders. I'm unabashedly pursuing the greater works of Jesus. And and, and you guys are too. And we're going to get there. We're about to bite back. And how do we do this? Romans 12, how do we become the weapons of God? Romans 12, 1. It's going to go fast, guys. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Remember earlier I said the same word for presenting your body as a living sacrifice was the same word that said yield your members of instruments of righteousness or present your your body as instruments of righteousness. When we yield ourselves to God, when we give our bodies to God and every part of ourselves to God, that is when He begins to use us as these weapons of righteousness in His hand in the right hand and the left to take the enemy down. So it's tough and it's a tough place to be and it demands everything we have. It's other words, it's a living sacrifice. In other words, you're, you know, you sign on the dotted line saying, I'm, I'm going in. It's a suicide mission, but I'm going in. I'm going in that fiery furnace, and unless the Lord delivers me, I'm not coming out of it alive, but that's fine because I go to be with Him. But I'm going in. And that is that fiery place that we can live in that. And there's one thing that I really, this actually came to me when I was here last time. How do we do this? Do we do this by grit and determination and our own will, and I'm not, I'm not baiting you. I think you guys know the answer. I want you to think about that. Many times in our circles, we want to present ourselves by living sacrifices, and we grit our teeth to the point that we give ourselves a hernia. We, we struggle with this, right? Well, I saw something in the Word. It says, by the mercies of God, do this. And as I began to study a little deeper, it's by the mercies of God enumerated in all of the Word of God and particularly in Romans 1 through 11. So I started studying. So if I'm supposed to do this, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do to be a weapon in my, in my Lord's hand. He knows that I can't do it on my own. So how do I do this? 
by His mercy. So I begin to study these mercies. And I would encourage you guys in your individual study time, study the mercies of God because by them you will be able to live a life as a living sacrifice. And I, and I want to touch on it a little bit on a few of these points. So what are the mercies of God? They're found in, the, in, in all of Romans, Romans 1 through 11, as well as the rest of the Word of God. They provide courage, comfort, and purpose and spiritual energy needed for this life that we're called to, this crazy life we're called to. He provides the enablement so that we can sustain a life of sacrificial worship for the long haul. His love conquers our fear of the pain and Jesus of, of all things is worth it. The mercies of God described in Romans 1 through 11 include His forgiveness for us, His sacrifice for the cross, and over and over and over again you see the Holy Spirit's being given to the church. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we pray, to pray. And so and we're going to look at a few of them, but not only are the mercies of God, the forgiveness and the love of God, they are the enablements given by the Holy Ghost so that we can live this life that God has called us to. A few of the mercies. First uh, John 3, 1. This is not in Romans, but this is, I believe, the, the beginning point that we need to approach this crazy lifestyle of living as a burning sacrifice for God, okay? I'm going to wait all you guys to get onto this one because I believe this is important here. You guys about there? There, all right, good, good. Okay. Look at how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children, and we are. I'm going to read Brother Weiss' translation. Behold what exotic, foreign to the human heart, love the Father has permanently bestowed upon us to the end that we may be named the children born ones of God, and we are. Brother Weiss said this. He said the translation could read, Behold what a foreign kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And he said, the love of God is foreign to the human race. It is not found naturally in humanity. When it exists there, it is in the saved individual by the reason of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God has placed his love upon the saints in the sense that they may become permanent objects of his love. One of the results of this love in action is that we are called sons of God. Smith says that the purpose of this amazing gift, a wise, holy love, concern for our highest good, is not simply that we may be saved from suffering and loss, but in order that we might be styled children of God and not have only in name but in character also. So we are. Behold, and I believe this is something, this is not just a, an intro statement, behold what manner of love, that's another translation. It is a something that we do on a regular basis. We begin to meditate upon the love of God, beholding the manner of love. That when you're in your prayer time with the Lord, when you're driving down the road, that you begin to, and you're thinking about this crazy life of self-sacrifice, of giving everything for Jesus, and it feels overwhelming. We go back to, I want to behold my Father's love. That free of charge to me, when I just bowed my knee to Jesus, He said, that's my son and that's my daughter. I think we, we must get a hold of this. We must recognize the value of being His children. We are joint heirs with Jesus, are we not? 
we will be in heaven with Jesus as our elder brother forever. He is our elder brother on this earth forever. God knows us by name. He calls us by name. As a good parent, are we not pained when we see our children suffering? Does it not hurt? Does it? Your own pain is one thing, but are you not gripped beyond the point of, of agony when your children are hurting and in turmoil? I, I know you are because you're good parents. We have enough of the nature and the character of God in us to, to agonize when our children are hurting. How much more the Lord? How much more the Lord? So brethren, brothers and sisters, behold what manner of love. Behold it day in and day out, night and day. In your Bible readings, in your car, when you're at work, bring your mind back to, to behold this love that we are called born ones of God, children of God, no less children of God than the Lord Jesus Christ, no less. Jesus even said in his in the book of John, when he was praying before his crucifixion, his great high priestly prayer, he said, Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. That the Father loves us according to Jesus, which blows me away, loves us even as much as he loves Jesus. Are you guys quiet? Or am I, is, it, is it talking to anybody? Is anybody getting talked to? Okay, good. The mercies of Romans. Y'all, I know this is a lot of scripture in little boys. I know you came to hear the word and not a lot of scripture. I'm kidding. I'm being smart, Alec. No, I know it's laborious. I, I want to lay a bit of a foundation here. I want you to have something to take home and to do. This is a little bit of a workshop because this is what I do and this is what gets me through. Amen. I'm sharing it with my brothers and sisters. We're playing in the backyard together. Figuring out how to, how to play this deal better, how to play this game better, okay? And every, I'm going to give you the first, I guess, eight chapters of Romans. In every one of them, there is the mercy of God on display. And in dang near every verse, <laughs> I shouldn't say dang, sorry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. Romans, I, I'm a, and y'all, I can give you all these, I'll leave you with them. But if you just study Romans 1 through 11, you'll see it all. It's easy. It's easy to see. It's just right there painted. Paul said, by the mercies of God that I just talked about, live this crazy life of sacrifice and giving yourself and giving your all for Jesus, okay? Romans chapter 1. We know the scripture. Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. John Lake said salvation is God's big word. It includes the whole man. Jesus is able to say to the uttermost, those who come to God through Him, for He ever lives to make intercession for them. God's big word, the, out of the gate, God's big word is the mercy shown here in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2. Or do you despise the riches of His kindness and restraint and patience, not recognizing that the kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Man, we need to, what does the Lord require of us? To do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Man, we need to love mercy. We need to drink that stuff down and get addicted to it completely. We need to become total mercy junkies. 
knowing that the kindness of God has led us to repentance and will continue to lead us in a holy life. And that is, by, that is the way in which the others will be led to repentance is by the mercy and the kindness of God. And that's just chapter 2. All right, chapter 3. Uh, 21 through 26, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through whom we have the, rede- the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And it was done through faith in His blood. That we are now redeemed because of His blood and we are justified freely by His grace. That's the mercy of God that we can go to that will sustain us when the enemy comes in and says, what about this? What about this sin? What about when you did that for the 47th time and you have worn out 1 John 1, 9? What about the fact you can't see much, much of 1 John 1, 9 because you have snotted and blown boogers on it too many times in your prayer time because you've sinned so much? You go back to that. And that is the mercy of God by which we will follow the Savior holy. Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 7. This is a quote from... From Psalms. How happy are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered? How happy is the man to whom the Lord will never charge sin? That is another mercy of God by which we will live this Christian life. To be happy that the Father, we are, we are guiltless. We are guiltless, man. That's why we can go to the throne of grace boldly. Because we don't show up guilty. We show up guiltless. Yeah. Romans 5, the entire chapter, just the whole thing. Chock full of God's mercy. Therefore, since, I'm not going to read it all. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We now stand in this grace. Immovable. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's the first place in Romans where I see it, Paul and the, the, the knowing the love of God is a great strength to us in living this sacrificial life. And now Paul starts enumerating the fact that the Holy Spirit's been given to us. The great passage in, in Romans 5, 8, but God proves His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 20, where sin abounded, grace that much more abound. Romans 6, we've already talked about it. Uh, sin is broken over our life and we were able to live for God fully. Romans 7. I love Romans 7 because the greatest Christian man probably that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, gave us a window in his own struggles. We can see that mercy as a mercy from God to know that he sees us in our struggles. He was still Paul the great apostle that we love when he, when he said that. I believe Paul obtained, figured out how to, it, by revelation, how to obtain victory over sin, but Paul struggled just like we do sometimes. Just like we do. We have a great mercy into the greatest saint of God that we know of in the book that he had struggles, that he understand, that Paul understood where we were and Jesus understands where we are. In Romans 8, the entire thing, y'all. The entire thing is the mercy of God. It's just, I mean, you could just read the whole chapter. But I'm going to go to my sacred ground, to a scripture that I, I, I must be the last one I read. I wouldn't be here without this. I, I, there's no way. There's no way I would have made it over the years of my walk with God without this passage to refer to. Romans 
8, 31 through 39. What then are we saying about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? There's those of you who the devil is bringing accusation, but it's illegal. Because it is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? The devil and other humans. But God doesn't. He's the one who justifies. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God. And what's He doing for us? He's interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. We bite back. We bite back, brothers and sisters. We are not victims. We bite back. We have not failed because we've taken a beating. It's because we're being counterattacked. It's a badge of honor to suffer for the Lord. And there are those of you because you have said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do great works for God. That's why you have been taking the beating that you're taking. But the tide is about to turn. All the devil is going to accomplish with this is to purify you. That's all he's going to do. He's going to get a bigger headache on the backside of this than you were when you went into it. I'm a bigger headache now on the backside of this, of what I went through, than I was when I went in. You know why? Because I've got more something in me says, oh, I, I love God for God. That way the Lord can take me and say, boy, I'm about to put you in a, in a hard place. I'm about to hit the enemy hard, and you're probably going to have a, have a headache from it. I'm like, let's go. Let's roll, because I love you. The Father is not going to have to worry about me any longer, wondering if He loves me because it hurts, or wondering if I'm going to love Him on the backside of this battle, because I'm going to count it a badge of honor because I love God. Amen. You know, and you guys do too. A couple of quotes. Y'all probably don't want to hear anything about Charles Finney or John Lake, do you? <laughs> All right. Revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict, determined to win or die, or if need be, to win and die. Yes. Come on, man. Yes. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Charles G. Finney. Do y'all know who Brother Finney was? Yes. Okay. Well, the, maybe the greatest, arguably the greatest evangelist, revivalist we've had in America. Uh, thousands and thousands of souls saved, and the man did it over a period of 30, 40 years. He, he, he died walking with Jesus. All right, last quote. John Lake. Y'all know who John Lake is, right? Yes. Okay. Beloved, for the sake of a lost and dying world, pay any price, get God's power, and set prisoners free. So that's where we're at, guys. We are pursuing this crazy life so we can glorify God. We are wanting to be living sacrifices. The mercies of God, I know it was rough me going through it, but I think if you guys would would take it, because it's, it's so helped me, because it's, it's as if a major area where the enemy could rip the rug out from under my feet, I'd get to going hard after God. Man, he'd rip the rug out from under my feet. 
you, you don't love God. God doesn't love you. You're in sin. I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. And now that noise is just background noise. Somehow this word and meditating upon, behold the manner of love the Father's given to me and all these mercies in Romans. He, can't, he, he can pull, but he can't rip that rug out from under me. I can stay on my feet longer. These mercies will, able, be able, will enable us to go for the long haul. So do that. Guys, we can do this. We can pursue God unabashedly for an outpouring of His Spirit. We should and can and will and are authorized by heaven to pursue the works of Jesus and even greater. We can live a life glorifying to God. We can overcome every area of besetting sin. Every area. We can live a clean life before God. We can walk with our bodies healed and healthy. And I'll get back to that in just a second. We can walk with our souls clean, our consciences clean. We can walk without depression, suicidal thoughts, self-condemnation. We get back to the point part about divine healing. I believe it's in the atonement with all my heart. I studied it backwards and forwards. I love you. And if you are sick today, I get it. But I forbid you from feeling like a failure. If you have, and if you've lost, I've said this last time, but it's back again for me to talk about it in my spirit. If you've lost a loved one and you fought hard for them, you fought some for them, and you lost them, you, you tried to get them healed and it just didn't work. I celebrate you in your faith. The Holy Ghost celebrates you in your faith. You didn't lose. You didn't lose. You didn't lose because you put your faith in Jesus. Amen. The Bible says to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that is currently working within us. It is a, there, there is a place in God where the, the power is within us. The Holy Ghost is within us. But the working of that power, it's like a nozzle. We have a stream that's small at times going. We need a big stream. And that's what we're working toward. You have not failed. And I want to take off you the pressure. If you come up here and you get prayer and you don't feel anything, keep, the faith, keep that switch of faith turned on. Keep it turned on. Stay encouraged in that. Amen. Meditate those healing scriptures. You are not a failure. You glorified Jesus when you walked up here and says, I want to be anointed and prayed for in the name of Jesus. You glorified him because you said he died for me on the cross. By his stripes I'm healed. I'm going to believe that. You, you've, you succeeded. You did your part. Keep doing your part. What do we talk about? The chutzpah in prayer. We keep coming and keep banging on that door and keep banging on that door. When we keep banging on that door, we'll eventually, that power that is at work within us will eventually expand. Amen. That strong man will eventually come down Amen. and we will plunder his stuff. Heidi Baker, do you all know who Heidi is? Yeah. Missionary in Africa that's had this, started 14 million churches in the last two days or something. It's crazy. Miracle signs and wonders off the chart. She said in Mozambique, they are now at 100% healing rate for deaf people. 100%. She said for the blind, they're at 70%. What do they do with the 30%? She said we celebrate them. And we put them on the healing team. And blind people walk up and this blind person puts their hand on them and they get healed. And as we're faithful with that, as we're, and we spit in the devil's face, we bite back. Woo. It finally came. It took a minute, but it finally came. All right, look. 
I love you. I know it's rough. I'm just going to hit this hard. Everybody in here should be healed. The gospel is healing. The gospel of healing is here. His name is Yahweh Rapha for a reason. He doesn't change. He doesn't love one more than another. He doesn't want to heal one more than another. And you know what? If it was not our fault, we are not to bear blame when somebody doesn't get healed. What are we to do? Bite back. We pray for somebody and they don't get healed. We hug them. We love them. We encourage them. And then we go get back on our face and we cry out and we cry out and we cry out. And I've got healing scriptures. Man, get your, and it, call me and I'll, I'll email them to you or something. I've got, I've got it all. We meditate on that word. We meditate on that word. We meditate on that word. Proverbs. His word is life unto those that find him and health to all their flesh. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've had so many healings happen when I've just spent time marinating my brain in God's word. Faith just comes. And so we, and we go over and over and over again. And when that, when that precious one comes and they don't get healed, we celebrate them and we get a sick person. We say, now you pray for them. And we bite the devil back. We bite back. Yes. Brother named Curry Blake said this, and, and this works. He said, if the devil won't yield when I'm praying for the sick, I say, fine, let's go win 10 people to Jesus. And he said, I go win 10 people to Jesus. Amen. We bite back. We make him pay when he's stubborn. The violent... Take it by force. The violent take it by force. ISIS are a bunch of thugs and counterfeits. That's not the violence we take it by force by. The violence we take it by force by is loving people and loving them enough to shut everything else aside and being in that crucible with God and praying until the fire falls, interceding to the fire falls, fasting to the fire falls, Praying for that sick person for the 7,000th time. And if you're sick and you've been praying for 7,000 times, don't get tired of it. You hadn't failed anybody. That's right. The worst thing that's going to happen to you when you get prayed for by this bunch is that you're going to feel loved and cared about. That's the worst thing. That's the worst thing. And I promise you, if you will persist, you will be healed. Amen. John Lake saw probably more healings in the 20th century than, than any one man that we know of. He said in two in, in ten, a ten year span of time they documented two hundred thousand miracles in America, and his statement was, "We see the same quality of miracles in America that we saw in Africa. We just don't see nearly as many. Not nearly as many. Two hundred thousand in ten years? Are you kidding me? Okay. But what did they do? He had healing rooms, and they and, and an hour or two a day, you came and you were ministered to the word according to healing, and you were prayed for." An hour, an hour to two every day for 30 days. He put out, he put out a, a public statement in the newspaper. This is back about 100 years ago. He said, $500 reward if you come 30 days in a row and you're not healed. They never paid it out. They had it. They had, and I think they had to hold a bond. I think they had to give $500 100 years ago is a lot of money. It's a lot of money to be right now. But <laughs> Eric will give you $500 if you're not healed today, every one of you. <laughs> but they had to come for 30 days and they never some of them were day 29 but what they do they banged on the door and they banged on it and banged on it and banged on it until it opened you were successful because you bowed your knee to Jesus you were successful because you said I want the Lord to heal me you are successful if you laid your hand on and you prayed for that person wanting them to be healed you didn't fail you didn't fail. I promise you, you didn't fail. Jesus was pleased. 
I told you about my buddy Keith. Mr. Bobby's shouting with Jesus right now. Keith did not change his stance on healing. He said it wasn't the problem wasn't on God's end. It wasn't. Keith's the first person I know to ever pray for somebody to be healed of AIDS. He's prayed for several now and seen miracle signs and wonders all really all over the planet now. Just pray a second. 